in thinking about Parshat Vayeshev, the Talmud declares, Kol hamakom shenemar Vayeshev, in every place that the word Vayeshev is recited, meaning, and he sat, Eino ela lashon sa'ar. It's always a signal, an omen of sa'ar, of trouble. It's an omen of conflict and tragedy. Why is it that the word Vayeshev, the opening word of this morning's Torah reading, should portend tsa'ar, trouble? The Talmud responds that the word suggests that Jacob thought that he could sit it out. Uh, our Yaakov Fruchter said something similar in the beginnings of his charge to Ryan, that Jacob had reached that point of his life where it was just green pastures, where he could sit and take it easy and not worry about anything that was going on, that he didn't have to get involved anymore. After all, he had years of conflict and contention with his brother Esau, with Lavan, his father-in-law, with the people and town of Shechem. And he was finally, finally Yaakov was comfortable. And so, says the Talmud, he became complacent. He didn't want to get involved. He ignored the bad relationship amongst his children as it became worse and worse and worse, culminating in violence. And Jacob lost. The brothers brought him the bloodied coat. Maybe, maybe Joseph was attacked by an animal, he thought. Maybe he was murdered by marauders. The point is, Jacob never got up to investigate, to find out what had happened. And so the Torah tells us, Vayikra Yaakov simlotav, Jacob rent his clothes, Vayesem sak b'motnav, and put sackcloth on his loins, Vayitabel al yamim rabim, and he mourned his son Joseph for many, many days. Vayakumu kobanav v'chobanotav lanachamo, and all of his sons and his daughters, they got up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. saying, I will go down mourning for my son in Sha'ol. And his father mourned for him. So overcome with grief, so overcome with the circumstance that was in front of him, Jacob, he froze. He froze. Leave me alone to mourn, he said. Leave me alone to sit. Vayeshev. He was prepared to end his life in exile as his descendants would become slaves. Now, I'm thinking about this particular teaching from the Talmud because of the unbelievable rise of anti-Semitism in our community 
today. And having watched the congressional hearings of the rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses throughout the United States, and certainly we know what's happening here on university campuses in Canada, and the testimony specifically of the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and University of Pennsylvania. Unbelievable how enlightened leaders of academic institutions can equivocate on a very simple question. Does calling for Jewish genocide meet the standard of harassment at your universities? Does it violate your code of conduct? And they equivocated. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Your answer is it depends on context? Really? It would only violate your code of conduct if it led in some way, shape, or form to bullying? Talk about sitting it out, about Vayeshev. Over the long term, or over the longer term, we know that the Jewish community is the most targeted community in Canada and in the United States for hate crimes. According to data that was released by Statistics Canada, and um, reported crimes have been steadily rising. In 2019, there were 306 reported anti-Semitic hate crimes nationally. In 2020, there was 331. In 2021, it spiked to 492, and another jump to 502 in 2022. And so far this year, in the GTA alone, police have reported a 132% rise in hate crimes. 132% rise in hate-related crimes against the Jewish community alone. I was at a meeting a couple weeks ago that Senator Jerry Grafstein organized amongst leaders of the rabbinic community, and I was shocked to hear from some of my other colleagues that one of the questions they are being asked at this moment is whether or not they should remove their mezuzot, take down their mezuzot, or as others are asking, maybe I shouldn't put my Hanukkah in the window to indicate that this is a place where Jews live. Is that the level of fear that our community has come to? We want to take down our mezuzot. We want to take Hanukkah and, and like the Maranos in 1492 and following, light candles in our basement filled with sand so that nobody should know that we're Jews. Rabbi Jonathan Saxalov Shalom, a couple years ago, wrote, I think poignantly, that this level of anti-Semitism that he was experiencing and seeing already then a couple years ago around the world, especially in the U.S., that it should happen while within living memory of the Holocaust after the most systematic attempt ever made by a civilization to find a cure for the virus of the world's longest hate. More than half a century 
of Holocaust education and anti-racist legislation, that this level of anti-Semitism that he was experiencing then, that we are experiencing now, should be taking place, is almost unbelievable. It's particularly traumatic that it's happening here in North America, the countries where Jews have felt more at home than anywhere else in the diaspora in all of Jewish history. And yet, we are asking, do we need to remove our mezuzot and hide our chanukiot? Rabbi Sachs reminds us a very important lesson about the last two holidays prior to modern times, holidays of Purim and Hanukkah. What they share in common is that they're both about anti-Semitism. In the Purim story, Haman wants to kill the Jews. In the Hanukkah story, Antiochus wants to kill Judaism. The challenge that we are facing in our current circumstance is that both are at play. We have Hamas who wants to kill the Jews, and we are experiencing a Western anti-Semitism that wants to kill Judaism. This becomes extremely dangerous when this anti-Semitism merges together as it has, and when it moves from the fringes of society to the center of society, such that the presidents of three major universities equivocate on whether or not calling for the genocide of Jews is a violation of their code of conduct and is somehow or other dependent upon the context in which it is being spoken. There are lessons to be learned and to understand what happens when people see that they're not harmed by holding these anti-Semitic tropes. And when those who speak up against it actually are vilified in the public square. Purim reminds us that salvation happens behind the scenes. Esther worked with her relationship with Mordechai and the king in order to alleviate the anti-Semitism of her time. Hanukkah, however, reminds us of the importance of fighting back. And in so doing, the Maccabees, who actually fought against those that wished to see the destruction of Judaism, became a symbol of Jewish activism, refusing to live in fear. Just ask yourself, what would have happened if the Maccabees had decided Vayeshev to sit it out, to not respond, to not get involved? There would, have, there would be no Jews today, not because of a Holocaust, not because of those who wish to actually kill Jews, but because of assimilation. Judaism would have melded into the larger Greek culture and it would have disappeared. No Judaism, no festival of lights, no holiday of religious freedom from which the world can learn, no bar mitzvah this morning.
the lesson of this moment of this Shabbat of Vayeshev and Hanukkah, which I heard a very cute way of referring to it last night at our 20s and 30s dinner from uh, one of the hosts of One Table, uh, that we should refer to Shabbat Hanukkah as Shabbanukkah. So there's an important lesson on this Shabbanukkah, the Shabbat of Hanukkah, and that is we dare not sit this moment out. We dare not sit it out, for the stakes are great. The stakes at this moment in our lives, in this moment in history, are not only about the protection of the lives of the Jewish people, but about the continuation of Judaism itself. That's why it was so important that 20,000 people rallied in Ottawa on Monday. And I don't know how many more thousands watched it online, but I can imagine that there were thousands of them. 20,000 people out of 400,000 Jews in Canada, that's 5% of our population. Just for comparison's sake, the 300,000 people who marched in Washington, D.C. last month represented only 1.8% of the U.S. Jewish population. 20,000 Jews in Ottawa is the equivalent of 750,000 Jews in Washington, D.C. It's a huge number of people to take a day off to go to Ottawa and as only Canadians can do, stand in zero degree weather while it's snowing for two and a half hours to rally for the Jewish people. That's not sitting it out. We have to remember we do have friends. And when we had a thousand people show up for our interfaith service at Timothy Eaton Church, half Jewish, half not Jewish, that's not Vayeshev. That's getting up and standing with our friends for our values. Unequivocally condemning Hamas and unequivocally expressing our desire for peace and the protection of all innocent civilians, including the Palestinian innocent civilians who are caught in the crossfire of the war that Hamas started. And there's more to do. We must follow the rally with letters to our elected representatives. We must reach out to our friends who perhaps have not yet responded to us and not wait for them to hear from us about how we're feeling at this moment and ask them to get involved and to educate themselves and to learn. We must continue to rally and show our strength in numbers and hold accountable all those who would equivocate on the clear moral position that this moment of fighting hate in Canada and around the world demands, and even more so as the Maccabees did by fighting not just to protect Jews from death, but for the preservation of Judaism, this is a moment in which we must lean in to our Jewish tradition to put not one, but two Hanukkiot in our windows. One for us for the fulfillment of the mitzvah, 
and one to symbolize the hostages that have not yet been returned home. This is the time not only to ensure that our mezuzot are on our doorposts, but that when we walk through our doorposts, we reach up and we kiss it and we remind ourselves of the commandments. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. God is one, we are one with God. And then the very next verse, V'yahavta et Adonai Elohecha. That what it means to be a Jewish person, to be one with God, is that we love. We respond to hate with love. Love of ourselves, love of our people, love of humanity. And that we're willing to get up and put our souls on the line for that love. On this Shabbat of Hanukkah, we must never forget the message of Hanukkah, that there are moments that call upon us to fight back. For Israel, that fight is military. For us, it's political and religious. If we are to be afraid, then living in a free society means nothing. Where others spread darkness, let us continue to bring the light. And so let me conclude with this lovely poem by Rav Cook, in which he reminds us that each of us, each person is a candle and has the opportunity and the possibility of bringing more light into the world. Every person must know and understand that a candle burns deep within them. And their candle is unlike their friends, and no, person's, and no person without a candle exists, that they must strive to uncover the light of the candle publicly and light it into a great torch and light the whole world. And let us say, Amen.